the name of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we observe the day of Pentecost. Today, 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 we observe the day of Pentecost, that day recorded in Acts 2-1, when the Holy Spirit fell in flames of tongues, tongues of flames, Peter preached the gospel and 3,000 people were baptized. That's the beginning of the church. The coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost was the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave in John 14, 26, when he said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom my father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, Jesus didn't just pull that out of the air. Without context, without knowing the circumstances or the intentions that formed the setting for Pentecost, we can't fully appreciate or understand the significance of, of what Pentecost is. We can't appreciate what it means to our lives today in the church and in the world. I came to faith in my 21st year with a very limited, no, with no understanding of the biblical narrative as given in the Bible. Truth is, I think many young people today have the same experience that I have had. I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't taught the stories. The stories of creation, the call of Abraham, Israel's deliverance from Egypt, the bondage that they were in, to, and going into the wilderness to, the, to Mount Sinai to meet their God. The giving of the Ten Commandments, the building of the tabernacle, that, that when the presence of the Lord came dramatically to rest in the center of the tribes. The judges, the kings, the split of the kingdom. The refusal or the inability of the people to follow um, God, in, to follow God and to represent his nature to the nations that were around them. The exile, the silence of the 400 years, the breaking of that silence with Jesus coming, his death, resurrection, and his um, ascension, and then the subsequent as, um, coming of the Holy Spirit, birthing the church at Pentecost. I didn't know the heritage that I had when I was going to be baptized. I was only told that Jesus saves. I was a sinner and Jesus saves. And that's a good message. It's the good news, right? But it doesn't give the anyone, it didn't give me and it doesn't give anyone the glorious picture of the breadth and the depth of the grand plan of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people to redeem his, cre his entire creation. The Bible contains great 
a great story of God's salvation. As Christopher Wright puts in his book, The Mission of God, the Bible is the drama of this God of purpose engaged in his biblical mission of making himself known to his people to be their God and subsequently for God's people living in a committed participation in the purpose of God for the redemption of whole, the whole creation. We are those people. Now, how does the Old Testament book of Numbers connect with the New Testament coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? I, that's what I wanted to know when I began exegeting these lessons. For, and, you know, what's the link? Why is this text included in our lectionary? Numbers is the historical uh, journey that chronicles Israel's journey from, Sinai, from Egypt to Sinai. It's in their faith journey can be kind of mirrored to our journey of faith as we learn to be God's people living in committed participation for the ushering in of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Viewing their struggles as a people mirrors ours. Now let me give a quick background for our text. Moses is the leader. He, is, he was called by God, appointed by God way back in Egypt when they were living in slavery. And in the book of Exodus, he's been tasked with bringing them to Mount Sinai and bringing the law of God down from the mountain to tell the people what this God who has delivered them values and what this, what God expects of them, how they are to act as his people. Now, of course, we see two times, it takes twice for it to stick. The second time, the people say, yes, yes, we will follow. And God instructs them to build a tabernacle, a tent. And this tent is to be placed in the middle of the 12 tribes. The 12 tribes were encamped like spokes in a wheel. And God, this tent that they were to build was to be placed right in the middle of, the, of all of them to, so that his presence, God's presence, would be there uh, amongst them. From that place, that was Mount Sinai, from that place... They journeyed to the promised land. And that is the book of Numbers. From Mount Sinai to the promised land. That land that Abraham had promised. That God had promised Abraham. He said your descendants will, this, will be this. And you will have this, this land. So from that place they go. But on the way about Numbers 15. God commands them to make these tassels. And they got to make these tassels. And he says, put them on your clothes. Sew them to your garments so that every time you look at these tassels, you'll remember that the commandments that I've given you and to do them. Because, of course, they weren't remembering. He wanted them to remember that he was the Lord, their God, that he called them out, not just for themselves, but for so that the people around them would see the way they acted, that God told them to act, was different than all the people around them. And God wanted them to show the people around them. So, we know, though, that walking around with tassels 
swinging around is probably not enough to make you act a little bit differently. I'm, I know that tassels swinging on my, um, on my garments um, isn't going isn't gonna to do anything for me when I'm coming home late at night. I'm tired. I've been gone all day since 7 o'clock in the morning, and I walk in, and all I want to do is eat the ice cream, the gallon, thank you. Um, <laughs> in the, and I know that it's not my, my next right step. Tassels on, that, on, my, on my shirt is not going to make me not eat that ice cream. They're just not enough, are they? So as one in charge, the one in charge, Moses, has, is the judge and the jury of everybody. The quarrels that are between the people and the quarrels that are between the people and God. He's the one. And so right before our text, the people were complaining to God, right? And, and God was getting ready to consume them. He was getting irritated with them. The tassels weren't working. And Moses cries out to God and he says this, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight? That you lay this burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? I'm not able to carry the burden. The burden's too much for me. So what does God do? He says, gather the 70 elders Place them around the tent. That would be the tabernacle that they built that's in the center of the tribes. And what does he do in verse 25? The Lord comes down in the cloud and he speaks to them. And he takes some of the, the spirit that's on Moses and he places it on one, each of the elders. And immediately they prophesy, and, but it didn't continue. You see, Moses is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given. It was given to just a few people. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ opens the way for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was taken from Moses, right? And given to those around the tent and they prophesied and then it went away. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's poured out for all who will believe and receive, and it doesn't fade. Not only will it not fade, but Scripture talks about the Spirit gushing out rivers of living water flowing out of believers. John 7 says this, and anyone who believes in me will drink, as the Scripture said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of flowing living water. The Holy Spirit wasn't given for the individual to bottle it up for themselves. It's given for the mission of God. His biblical mission of making himself known to his people. And they are living in a committed participation, right, in his purposes. Which is the redemption of his entire creation. We... Each of us who have been baptized, who have believed and been baptized, have received the Holy Spirit of the Father and the Son for this missional purpose, to give it away, to multiply it. 
Now we started with the question, how does the Old Testament book of Numbers connect with the New Testament coming, uh, the New Testament coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Why is it here? God was not fully manifested in the tabernacle in the wilderness. That fire that came down and the cloud by night was all external. But it provided a type and a shadow, a picture of God's mission, which is this. He wants to dwell with his people. And he wants to be their God. And he wants them to be his people. Still, the presence of God wasn't within the hearts of the people. The picture of God taking a measure of the spirit, the spirit out of Moses and giving it to the 70, right? That to, and it was to help Moses govern. It's a type and shadow of the Holy Spirit being given by the Father and the Son to inhabit his people, his disciples at Pentecost, for them to be on mission with God, and that they would become forms of founts of living water for a thirsty world as his church. The final and perfect manifestation of God was in Jesus, whose ministry results in God's dwelling, not in a tent, not in a tabernacle, but in the people's hearts by his spirit. Numbers gives us a physical picture of Pentecost. God narrated to us who was coming and why he needed to come. The biblical narrative tells God's story of his relentless pursuit of his people to redeem and give them life and to guide them, to be their God and for them to be his people. You know, it's a very relational story much more relational than ethical. God uses the biblical narrative to teach us. But sometimes, just sometimes, it's just a personal dialogue, right? A dialogue between a person and God, a dialogue that comes from the chaos of our own lives, a dialogue that comes from our humanness, from our sorrow, a dialogue that comes in times when we live and we, can't, we just can't see. We don't know that God will speak to us. And it's as if we, the waters that we're living in are stagnant and can't breathe. I remember when I first approached God. And I think many people can relate to, me, can relate to this. I told God, I said, I need to know that you're real. I need to know desperately that you're real. And I did. And, and because God is a God of grace and a God of mercy, he meets us where we need to be met. One morning in 1982, my father picked me up from the Orange County Jail. I had spent the evening there after being arrested for drinking, driving while under the influence. He brought me home there in Castleberry to my mother and father's home. And I was out on the front porch with my mother and my, my mother. And I was smoking a cigarette. I was a two-pack-a-day smoker. And I turned to my mother and I said, you know, Mom, maybe God's trying to do something. And when I did that, 
I felt a heat enter into my body. It was like an electrical jolt going out my arms, going out my legs. And I looked at my mom again and I went, did you feel that? She was like, no, I didn't. And uh, so I just thought I was silly. And um, so I turned back and I went to smoke my cig, take a drag. And I got my cigarette butt up to about here. And it was like this magnetic force was in between that and my, my lips. And I couldn't put it to my mouth. And I flicked the butt out into the front of the lawn. And I turned to my mother and I said, is there a Bible in the house? And she was like, okay. So she went to go get a Bible. Now you have to understand, I had spent the last three years angry at God. I thought God was a horrible monster because I thought he had caused an accident that mutilated my face. And I didn't want anything to do with a God that would do something like that. So my mother comes back and uh, she hands me the Bible. I went back to the back room, opened the door, threw the Bible on, onto the bed and it opened up because I didn't know where to open it. Closed the door and I sat down and it had opened to the gospel of John. And I began reading the gospel of John. I got to about chapter 19 with the crucifixion of Jesus. And um, as I was reading that, I saw the love of God. I felt the love of God. I knew that God loved me just in that place, that place where I was at my, at my bottom, that place where I was my most lonely, that place where I didn't know where to turn. Life was bleak and I didn't know what, what was going to happen. No friends, no money, no car, no nothing. And here was God speaking his love to me. I realized he, he didn't cause my accident. He didn't make me slam into the pavement. No, he loved me just where I was. And so I began to pray and that there was a, 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 a rising up, a thick blanket of his presence and I didn't know that that's what it was and it freaked me out and it scared me and I got up and I ran outside. I ran outside to the back and I'm standing in my mother and father's backyard in Castleberry, Florida. Now I have been all over the world and I'm looking at the, the blue sky and it's bluer than I've ever seen it. I'm looking at the green and the green is greener. It was as if somebody put like a colored glasses on me and I knew that I was, I had been born into a new, new place. And then I turned around and I went into the, into the house and I called my mother and my father to the kitchen table and I said, okay, I've done this. I'm going to take full responsibility for everything I've done. And they were looking at me like I was a 500. They were like, where is she? Because I had never taken responsibility for myself or any of my actions before that time. Now I tell you this story why. I tell you this story because this is my witness. This is my witness. I experienced a dramatic infilling of the Holy Spirit that day. I, I, and what happened after that, that spirit entered into my body in such a dramatic way? Well, I had the desire to read the word of God. 
The Spirit then taught me about the love that God had for me. I experienced beauty and I felt wonder for the first time in my life. I took complete responsibility for my actions. I repented and within a few weeks I went and at my request I got baptized. I experienced a complete change in my character and I wasn't even sure what happened. Does everybody experience the Holy Spirit this way? No. I can only tell what is my experience. I can only say that this is my witness to the greatness and the goodness, the steadfast love and faithfulness of the God who loves us all. But the Holy Spirit does operate the same in everyone. He he operates by giving us the ability to call Jesus Lord and to proclaim the good news to a dying world. He gives wisdom, comfort, guidance, strength, strength to live the lives as people of God in a world that's really hard. Each baptized person has a witness. I encourage you, spend time thinking about your witness. In closing, three things. God's missional purpose is making himself known to his people, that he is their God. And that mission includes God's calling his people to live in committed participation with his purpose, his mission. He's given the Holy Spirit to accomplish that. We don't have to rely on tassels. We don't have to rely on that. He's given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now available to all who believe and receive. It's freely given. And lastly, the Holy Spirit is given to flow through us to others. It's not given for us to pool it and keep it to ourselves. May we be a people who live in the committed participation with our God for his mission. Amen.